I see Bitcoin as a counterculture. I see that little bit of punk in that era in Seattle and grunge and that type of culture. I see that in Bitcoin. This is the Bitcoin News, and I'm Clay Enos. This week, on the world's premier Bitcoin art podcast, I'm joined by Muzi, a creative voice that only recently popped onto my radar. An avowed Bitcoin maximalist, Muzi is training his own AI models to evoke what he sees in Bitcoin. Whether it's his Persian-inspired painterly swirls or glimpses of an emergent fashion, his work focuses on an ethos of liberation and sovereignty as a means of ushering in a Bitcoin-based future. Now, the unorthodox style of my podcast is sort of starting to take the form of a cocktail party or something like that, where you, the listener, walk up and start listening to a conversation already in progress. Today, Muzi and I were talking about ordinals and Bitcoin Magazine when you saddled up, knowing, of course, that the show notes would be there to fill in the gaps and allow you to follow up at your leisure. I encourage you to do so. And I don't know what the heck is going on with X slash Twitter these days, or if I'm shadow banned for having a Nostra public key in my bio. But anything, dear listener, that you can do to amplify the message of the Bitcoin Muse is greatly appreciated. Reposting being chief among them. Anyway, on with the show. I don't feel entirely qualified to talk about the technical aspects of Bitcoin. No, I haven't dabbled in Bitcoin development. I do programming, but specifically in Python. So I haven't touched Bitcoin at all, but big picture, I think we should keep Bitcoin as just a monetary system and at just a payment network. And like anything else we add, it's just risk added to the network. So I have nothing against them. The taproot was got in fairly, you know, people voted and I think we should respect it. It was voted in. And that's what happened. It's just, we have to be careful next time not to rush these bibs, these forks, and we should really take our time, which I'm seeing that now people are, you know, becoming hesitant and anything that is being suggested, people immediately almost say, no, it just doesn't make sense. Why should we take the risk? Which is, which is good to see. Yeah, I was at uh, PubKey, which is a Bitcoin bar here in New York, and Arbed Out was at the meetup and it did seem as though drive chains are going to die on the vine. Yeah, I really respect the team behind it. I think, you know, one of the, the creator is the creator of NOS, if, if I'm not mistaken. So I respect him. What's his name on Twitter? I forgot. Anyways, I, it's a very strong team. But again, why are we doing this? Let's just keep that to outside of Bitcoin. There's no reason we should bring this to Bitcoin. I'm with you in terms of it being a monetary network. I think that's where its strength lies. I think that's where all of its liberating properties for humanity lie. And so artistically fine to explore, but it does feel like we'll just weather these waves of fads just like anything else. Yeah, exactly. Like as an artist, you know, I would love nothing more to earn sats for my work you know i would love nothing more to mint my art on bitcoin but at the same time i'm like this tool is not for this i have nothing against other blockchains that are specifically for artists i actually respect them 
because that space is a beautiful space to artists, the way they're sharing, the way they're making money. I love it. I'm like, that makes sense to me. And, you know, that's not why Bitcoin was created, though. I'm with you. And even though those, some of those blockchains may eventually fade away, so does a lot of art throughout history. Yeah. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Let him, let him do his thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me, man, I must say I hadn't found you, I think, until you popped up on that John Vallis thread where people were suggesting artists to follow or tap. Mm -hmm. And I appreciated you chiming in with your own work. <laughs> I wouldn't have known who you were. Yeah. How do you say your handle? Muzi. Muzi. Cool. And is there a meaning in that? There is. Well, the came originally of I've been making electronic music for almost 16 years. So I just kept that DJ name that I had as this name as well. I'm originally from Iran. So Muzi in Farsi means sneaky, like a sneaky person. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's where the name comes from. And so you consider yourself an artist? I do. I would say I dabbled in a lot of things. I have an engineering degree. I practice engineering. I make music, so I consider myself a musician. I do art, like visual art. And I'm a designer as well. And I do programming. Which one do I gravitate towards? I don't know. <laughs> it's just every time something comes up, I take the opportunity and do it, and I stick with it. But I haven't mastered any of them. I'm decent in different things, but never mastered any of them. Yeah, and I think there are folks who would, sometimes I see it out there that, to, what is it, a jack of all trades and a master of none mm -hmm. is diminished. But I, I kind of love that approach. And especially nowadays where the filmmaking is accessible on an iPhone or a laptop, where things that used to be way outside the purview of normal folks to express themselves creatively are now in our pockets. Mm -hmm. And so I really appreciate somebody like yourself who's going to dabble and explore their creativity across a huge swath of technological advance or whatever. I don't know what you'd call it, right? Because it is sort of technology that's allowing us to do this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Technology, I guess it's the one thing that brings everything together for me. Like the way I make music, it's in the computer, the way I do my arts, I would say 80% of it is programming. I don't actually draw anything. I train my own AI models. I do a lot of coding to create these visuals. And at work, I do a lot of coding too. So technology is definitely the center piece of all my interests. Yeah, that's cool. I think that when one thinks of engineering, creativity isn't the first thing that comes to mind for the uninitiated. But clearly, creativity is a part, a large part of good engineering. Yeah, exactly. And I guess that's why I got into engineering. My degree is in structural engineering. But after, and I, I practiced it about seven, eight years, but it was type of engineering that creativity is not there mm. it's just basically you know the architect does all the creativity and then they pass it to a structure and be like this is how it's going to look like make it happen so you can't really be creative and that was 
when I started that it just hit me that oh damn I am a creative person I'm I can't use creativity in my in my job so I that's where I switched and I became what we call computational designer which is basically using programming methods and computational methods to design and then I got into an architectural firm with this position so now I was able to be creative and just use technology to implement new workflows and new new way of design basically how cool I've never heard that term computational designer and but architectural firms have them yes it's very it's very new not very new but there's not a lot of computational designers out there, but now they are in very high demand. So I've seen that a lot of big firms are really needing computational designers. Can you elaborate a little on how, what programs you're using or, or where specifically you would fit into these legacy companies? One of them is like basically doing data-driven design. So having data affect the shape, for example. So in structural engineering, you could do optimization of certain forms based on certain load. And that's one way of doing it to kind of do computational analysis. It could be, you know, daylight analysis, how much light is coming into the building. It could be energy analysis and doing really complex geometry that it's almost impossible to do with mouse and keyboard. For example, like imagine a twisting tower, right? Like imagine the floor is rotating at one degree all the way up. Instead of having one person to basically model each floor at one degree, you just basically code it and say, do this axis and at one degree and it will rotate it for you. And then in even bigger projects, in master planning projects, which are urban design, designing like a city scale, which data is very important, then computational designers are needed as well. So I would say anything that would get a little bit complex and needs computation, it's where computational designers come in. I wonder what Buckminster Fuller would have done with computers and this kind of, with folks like you at their side. Yeah, it's crazy you brought him up because I just finished Critical Path. Oh, did you? And have you read that book? I haven't read it. I know of it. I haven't read it. Yeah, it was a very very interesting book and he just is definitely fantastic designer and architect no doubt about it i don't know there were things i think he would definitely be a bitcoiner that's 100 sure but i don't know i feel like he he would be a globalist too like the way that he explained the one word government and like how you could become more efficient and all that i feel like like took me by surprise that he he actually could have been a globalist. Sometimes I have to, because they couldn't see the future, they were optimistically dreaming of a future. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure they could have seen the dystopia that was uh, sort of hidden beneath those dreams. Mm -hmm. So I'll give them a pass on some level, right? Because Bitcoin on some level unifies the world in a way around a monetary standard mm -hmm. and dissolves nation states potentially. And we become one sharing creature. Mm -hmm. There's a vision of that that is one world unified and peaceful and trading. So not necessarily this apex of power and then the rest of us slaving away beneath it. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. In theory, it it makes sense. You know, the way that he he basically just I mean, I don't want to ruin the book, but I highly recommend people read it. The way he explains the benefits of this one word government, it makes sense. Obviously things are gonna be efficient. Obviously we can distribute resources in a better way. But like you said, it's it's just, I haven't seen any practicality to it. And like Bitcoin makes sense because it's decentralized. It's still decentralized and power is completely taken out of it. And that's why I love it. Like there is no corruption happening in Bitcoin, but I could see in the obviously one word government that much power will be 100% corrupted. Yeah, for sure. As we are witnessing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true that. <laughs> I chuckle not because it's funny, but because it's my cope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have you read The Fountainhead? No, I haven't. No, oh, I think you'd enjoy that only because it's the story of a, an idealistic uncompromising architect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I need to read that one. So you have these skill sets. I love the idea of training your own AI models. I just prompt away over on Midjourney. How much more involved is creating your own AI models and programming them? So there are different ways to train your own model, right? If you have the computation power, you could train big models. The way I do, I use mostly stable diffusion. And to train those models, I need a lot of computation, but there is a way, very effective training models called LoRa's, and this is basically low ranking adaptation, which train your large models very fast, very efficiently. And you could train these by just only hundreds of images. For example, that image on my Twitter that I pinned it, that style, so that's a LoRa that I trained. So now any prompt that I give it, it will generate in that style. All right, that's awesome. Before we get too far, because this is an audio only podcast, how do you describe that? Just to paint a little picture, no pun intended, of what that piece of art looks like. There was this artist I remember from my childhood in Iran, Farshian, his name, and his style was miniature art, Persian miniature art. And it's just that flowy kind of ancient feeling to it. And I spent months to train this model because I just couldn't get that style. And I finally found a lot of paintings that it was close to Fashion's style. And I, I keep training model after model. And one of them finally gave that output that it's really close to that Persian miniature art. Wow. And yeah, look, I would have been hard pressed to call it AI generated when I first saw it. It's incredibly painterly. It does show, I don't know, more nuance, more detail than I've seen in a lot of AI art. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I use a, a little bit in painting in it as well. So once it's generated, I take it out and like basically like that Bitcoin coin that is coming from this guy, that wasn't in. So I just did the first pass and then I start in painting it and add more detail to it, basically. Very cool. Do you have an opinion? Because there are very, with any new tech, we've learned that tends to be, let's say, heavily criticized. 
<laughs> photography, electricity, you know, all these things throughout decades, if not centuries. Mm-hmm. And now AI seems to be under the gun and traditional artists periodically speak out with some disdain. Do you have an argument against or do you just let it roll off your back? I think the name artificial intelligence is a very misleading name for this technology because there is no intelligent to this. It's just mashing and remashing old human work. There is nothing outside of the domain of the training data. So to me, AI is it's just another way of communicating with the machine. So before, the only way to communicate with the machine was mouse and keyboard for artists, right? Like they could only open whatever design program they're using and just use mouse and keyboard. And that's very limiting. Now with AI, you can design, you can do your art through speech. You can design through hand gesture. Anything that you can think of now through text, you can communicate with AI. And I think that's fantastic for artists. And it definitely needs needs certain level of craftsmanship and a broad range of skills to use these tools. And I think artists that embrace AI, it could elevate their art in places that no one can imagine, honestly. And artists that they don't want to embrace this tool, I respect them. But I highly encourage them to break those limitations and just let your brain go wild. The way you can iterate through your ideas with AI is just mind-blowing. Good for you. I would concur. I think that creativity is still the domain of the humans. Yeah, exactly. I don't think we're even close to have AI to start have its own creativity. I don't think we'll see that in our lifetime. Cool. Well, well, what a wonderful little portal to be creating then as it emerges and finds its footing to be creating in this medium is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, this space outside of Bitcoin, it's really mind blowing. What I see from artists outside of Bitcoin and it's, it's tough because I love to post these guys on my channel and I do sometimes, but I'm like, if I keep doing this, cause I consider myself a maxi, right? And if I keep doing these people with dot ETH and names, I'm like, uh, people are going to start unfollowing me, but I just love what this space has become and the artists creating these arts. It's really fantastic to see, like you cannot make some of these arts without AI. And I can see how much time they spend on this art. And, you know, some of them that I could see, they kind of use the same workflows that I'm using and like how far they've gone with it. It's just awesome to see. Well, that's really validating. And I think that your particular perspective of being a technician and training your own models, you know, super different than me, who just dumps a couple words into a prompt and is delighted with what comes out. I really appreciate your more nuanced and more informed perspective. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I wouldn't worry if you repost a couple dot eats. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be dot BTC soon enough. I know. <laughs> I could be maxi. And when I consider myself maxi, it's just saying, I don't think there is any other monetary system better than Bitcoin. 
and that's why I'm a maxi. But it doesn't mean I'm not supporting artists outside of Bitcoin. And I see this <laughs> this just tension in the Bitcoin community that they just don't even talk to these people. And I'm hoping to break that to say you still can be Bitcoin maxi and that's all good, but this is still art. <laughs> let's let's just appreciate art and artists. Yeah, and similar to being a DJ, it's not like you never go to live music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's kind of childish, right? Because I remember like when I was a teenager and I was like, I only listen to rock and that's it. Hip hop sucks. Like this sucks. And then as I got older, I saw loving all music and my life was much, much better in my music life. I just started enjoying more and more music. Beautiful. So the decision then to take your creativity and your artistic understanding and to start creating Bitcoin work, what was the catalyst there? I just loved my Bitcoin journey. There were a few things. One thing is I started seeing the whole Bitcoin community conversation is going the, the wrong, I don't want to say the wrong way, but it's just the conversations that I don't think it belongs in Bitcoin. I see like a, a group of big influencers, you know, like all these meat people that all you Bitcoiners eat meat. Like if you eat plants, it's like you're a pussy. Or I don't like this has nothing to do with Bitcoin. So with my art, I just want to bring the attention to the ethos of Bitcoin, you know, just liberating people from these authorities and just the sovereignty about individuals. So that was one of the reasons that I'm like, okay, I need to start contributing more and gaining a voice. And another reason is I really want to show the journey I went through with Bitcoin, because I think that's, that was just absolutely beautiful to me. And I think a lot of other Bitcoiners went through this journey for me personally. I really understand when people say study Bitcoin, not buy Bitcoin, but study Bitcoin. I'm a true believer in that because I got into Bitcoin in 2016. So I bought my first S19 hand miner and I started mining it. Whatever money I was making, I was just basically buying more machines. I was like, was set to become a miner. And I scaled up to five, six machines. I was living in a studio and I put all the miners in my closet and the, my closet was basically melting. All my clothes was getting smaller. <laughs> I had to like basically take all the wires from each plug of a different circuit. So all my studio was just wires going to this closet. I had to like close down all my AC vents. So all the AC goes to this closet and I was making good money and it was working. And then the crash happened and like, basically I couldn't pay the electricity anymore. Like I wasn't profitable anymore. I still have the machines, but I'm not using them anymore. But that's how I got into Bitcoin. And I was, I would say I was a progressive, progressive left. You know, I was like one of those Bernie bros. I was all about, you know, social justice. I respected, you know, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, AUSC, all these people. And as I started looking into Bitcoin more and more, 
and really understanding Bitcoin and see what it's about and how necessary it is, I figured everything that these people are saying, the answer is Bitcoin. Hearing, for example, Robert Reich, he's saying all about social justice and how the prices are going up and how people are middle class is disappearing, um, too much power is going to government. And everything that he was saying, Bitcoin is the answer. And when I saw them come against Bitcoin, that was really punch into my stomach because I'm like, wait a minute, if someone's smart and study Bitcoin and really understand that it's all about liberty, how can you, and it's, so, it's about social justice, how can you become against it? So that was the start of me really start questioning everything from the left. And that being said, I always try to stay in the middle. So I, I never <laughs> go, when I say progressive left, I wasn't progressive left, but I was leaning towards these guys because it was, it made sense to me. Like I thought I'm following goodness. I'm following freedom. I'm following social justice. All these ideas were good, but I found Bitcoin, which is the answer to all of these to me. And all these guys coming against it really started my journey to questioning these things. And now here I am, <laughs> definitely not with progressive anymore. <laughs> and I feel like now I'm really in the middle. Before I wasn't, because now I see that I was gravitating towards left, but now I'm in the middle. I think the most important thing that Bitcoin can teach anyone is tolerance. We need to tolerate each other. Right, because I've seen it in Bitcoin community. You know, there are people from the right, and I mean, there are less people from the left, and I mean that's changing. But people are much, much more tolerant on their Bitcoin, and I love that. You can really express your opinions, and it wouldn't be how in mass media you get shot down or canceled, or that you can't even talk anymore. So that was another reason, just that journey of coming from left and like going a little bit away from left and just really become in the middle. I love that journey because it really made me, I think it made me a better person and be very tolerant about other ideas and opinions. And I think Bitcoin was the reason for me that it pushed me towards the middle now. Although I feel like more people now think I'm on the right, but I, I honestly don't think so. I think I'm, I'm very middle, as at least I try to. Do you think that your creative mind allowed you to change? My hunch is, in myself, because it's a similar journey, that being an artist gives you this kind of pass to explore ideas differently than people who identify inside a party or with a particular other group, right? Lawyers or conservative or whatever. Blue collar guys or Democrats or right? pick one. It doesn't matter. But artists are, are out there exploring ideas and it helps you sort of shift and flow in there. Yeah, I, I agree. I think a part of my personality, like I mentioned earlier, is like I dabble in everything. Although I haven't mastered anything, but it really helps me to be fluid and just at least try stuff and like understand them and make a decision instead of just say, this doesn't make sense to me. I will never study it. For example, I learned that 
that's not the way to live especially that's not a way of a creative mind to live like you said it's if you're an artist you have to dabble in different things also i think you have to go to where it's a little uncomfortable mm -hmm. because that's where the breakthroughs happen exactly that's how you that's how you grow now as a dj i can imagine every every set is sort of fraught with trepidation am i going to get people grooving or moving, right? <laughs> Am I going to make them happy? You said you do that for years. Yeah. That's got to be a similar process, no? To kind of tune into an audience. Yeah, I would say I never done any of it professionally. I don't know if I never want it or I decided to not make money, for example, from music. And even for my arts right now, you know, I'm not, I just post the high resolution art on Twitter, I'm not asking for money or any copyrights mention, but for, I've never did it professionally, but I remember some of my best feelings were when I played for an audience and that feeling that I had, it was just out of this world. It's like everything clicked and I was over the moon, just seeing people dancing, feeling the music and I loved it. And I did it multiple times and I loved it. I don't know. I think I was maybe too scared to take the risk and just completely go the art way because it's not an easy profession to basically make money to just, if you're a DJ, you just have to grind club to club, just hoping for the best. But when I do music, I'm definitely thinking about the audience, although I don't have many audience, but I definitely think about how other people would react to this art. And that's the driver of it. I mean, even though I don't do it professionally, I still think of, is this going to connect with people? Part of that might be that it's difficult for artists out there because of perhaps the fiat standard that we're under doesn't quite recognize or value our contributions. I'm collectively talking about all of us as, as artists. Mm -hmm. But that's for now. Because the drive never changes. The artists have been around from the dawn of time, I believe, that human creativity, whether it was tattooing or jewelry or music, is forever emerging from our species. And the fact that so many artists struggle today I don't know if that's, that just might be our lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're <laughs> and in that struggle is where some of that creativity is born. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. It reminds me of how Seyfeddin basically talks about this, like how fiat art has basically gone to shit, excuse my language, but it's funny. Like, you know, social media, it's great for artists. But then you have to make content almost on daily basis because that's how you get followers. That's how you get engagement. And if you're not producing every day, you're not going to get followers. And I definitely don't like that. And I think that needs to change, at least for artists. They don't need to produce every day to get engagement. And artists are, but... That definitely affect the quality of art. Like how Seyfettin mentions, he's right. Artists used to spend years on their one piece of art, years. 
And now, you know, 14 year old does a stroke on a canvas and they're like, yeah, this is $60 million. <laughs> it's just the art has taken the wrong path, I think. Yeah. I and mean, there's so many conversations in there. And yet I tend to put my emphasis less on, let's say, that fiat debasement and more on the little shining works that were created at the same time. Mm -hmm. So there's still beautiful art throughout the 21st century that inspired me, despite the fiat standard. Yeah, absolutely. And if we are at this Renaissance 2.0 moment, then it's going to potentially be AI-based cinema. God knows. I mean, it's fascinating to imagine. Yeah. I noticed you were dabbling in fashion, too. Yeah, I think that's one thing that is missing. I see Bitcoin as a counterculture. I see that little bit of punk in like that era in Seattle and grunge and like that type of culture. I see that in Bitcoin. And I feel like that's basically another reason I started that fashion series that I'm going to keep doing. It's just let's create a culture instead of just being at each other's throat like how Bitcoin community is becoming. I love to have those conversations. Let's be more united on that front of our culture, not necessarily basically dictating what's in the culture, but just expressive type of culture. Like we don't have to go and be at people's face and be like, you need to study Bitcoin. What if I have a certain way of dressing, if I have a necklace on or or just, it's not there yet, but I love seeing that to this become a big culture as big as hip hop, for example, like you could see how big that culture became and like the way certain clothing and could immediately see that's hip hop culture. And I love to see that in Bitcoin. So I'm going to keep doing that and just post some Bitcoin fashion, see if it catches on. I love it. Yeah. There's plenty of white blood cells. We need more Mohawk hairdos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are you training that model too? Or are you just going a little slightly more traditional? That one's a little more obviously AI generated. Maybe it's just something in my sensitivities around photography. But the clothing design, the whole, that was really original and different fun. What was going on there? So believe it or not, I use the same model for those two images. Sorry, there are three images that I use the same Persian miniature on those images. And that really brought out the colors. I could not bring the colors out. So I, I know that model uses a lot of colors. So every time I want to add colors to images, I use that model. I use two, three different models on those images. So I started in mid-journey, I get the, the camera and all that correctly. And then I use control nets, which is basically just keeping the geometry and just change things. And I apply those models and then I'll upscale them. So going from, you know, lower resolution to almost 8K wow. with stable diffusion and I increase the denoising. So it goes from the ancient feeling it changes into very modern images. So I posted two images of the same woman, and one of them is the, the Asian feeling. And then when I start bringing it to stable diffusion and does do the whole um, denoising, then it becomes kind of like modern feeling. And I posted both 
just to kind of show my workflow. But I still, for those latest ones, I still use the same model. And I have two other models that I use. Just to bring the colors and the quality, just improve the quality, I train two different models to give that photorealism, but at the same time, have it a lot of colors and lights coming out. Yeah, even in the background, I saw that sort of bluish brushstroke feel from the other tableau, the more classical Persian tableau. Yeah. You could see elements of it in there. Yeah, exactly. And for example, that Asian model, I photoshopped because when I change it to the Persian way, it changes the background too. So I basically took him outside of that setting and put him in a photorealistic background that came from Mid Journey. And I just re render him in stable diffusion again with those models. What fun to be evoking. How long ago was this Persian artist painting the miniatures? It's a modern, well, the style is very old, very, very old. It's found in texts like dated back to 3000, 4000. But so he was alive when I was, when I was back home. I don't know if he's still alive, but that way of miniature Persian, it's, he really made it famous. It was him. And now I see a lot of artists do it. I just love the, I feel like it was the first art that really affected me. When I looked at that painting, I'm like, wow, this guy is a genius, man, as a kid. <laughs> so I always wanted to do something with that style. And hopefully I just keep doing it, but I do feel more art with this model. And then I just have to basically start on a new model. It's very much the artistic tradition to be inspired by what happened previously. And now your command of the technological aspects of your creation, you wouldn't have otherwise been able to do it, really. You weren't going to spend the time to learn to paint. Yeah. But you brought a whole different set of skills, and now your vision and your voice is finding an audience. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I would ever be <laughs> capable of producing art like that. Not even after 20 years. It's just magnificent how they do it. I don't think I'll ever get there. This technology has opened the door for me to at least dabble with it and experiment with it. This is my general thesis, is that the Renaissance 2.0 doesn't mean there's just going to be another Michelangelo and Da Vinci and Raphael. It means that there's going to be thousands of them. Mm -hmm. And our world is going to be expressing itself so that the muses' voices are heard through all of us. Because I truly believe that each one of us holds a unique creativity that we were born to express. Mm -hmm. Yeah, couldn't say it better. Exactly. I can't picture exactly what the art scene is going to be in 10, 15 years. But one thing for sure is the amount of content that people are going to create, it's going to be mind-blowing. AI is going to be the entrance for people to experiment with art. And they're just going to create a lot of content and a lot of art, which is fantastic for us. And I think, too, once we are released of the shackles of fiat currencies, then the art itself will have more profundity and meaning. Because right now I think everyone's distracted and there's even perhaps a co-opting of the art world to distract and pacify 
huge swaths of humanity. Once they're truly free under a Bitcoin standard, then the art is going to, I don't know, I think, as you say, we can't imagine. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully we go that way. Well, do you think that artists can push us that way? My other thesis is that artists are the tip of the spear to push culture forward in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. I think art and culture is the way. Like, as I mentioned, like with the new series I'm doing, Bitcoin Fashion, that's what I'm trying to do. That's how change happens. I mean, it's going to be gradual. We have to focus on the gradual things that could make this change happen. I don't think we can make, you know, sudden moves, sudden changes without wars. It just doesn't work. It's either a revolution that you have to go on the streets and rely on violence or it's war and violence again. I think the only way, other ways, is just through culture and art. And it's got to be gradual. And hopefully it's beautiful, it's well-designed, aesthetically minded, all, all those things that you seem to be keying into. Yeah, exactly. One thing about, I feel like El Salvador has a very, they have a great opportunity with this Bitcoin city. But I have so much difficulty with how they are approaching this because I think they have the opportunity to bring some of the biggest artists, some of the biggest architects in the world, sit them down and say, design Bitcoin city, instead of just think about money and just let's, let's get it built, man. Like, and I saw some renderings and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> this? How is this Bitcoin city? Bitcoin city has to think about sustainability. Just how can we revolutionize the way we live? And they have that opportunity. Like, is it, are we supposed to live in mega structures, for example? Is it better to live in mega structures? Is it more efficient? How does that affect us? Are we wasting a lot of resources living in the city? Are we wasting a lot of time living in the city? Can mega structure really change things for us? I don't see those conversations happening in Bitcoin City. How is this city different than other cities? Other than, yes, it's going to be, oh, we have volcano energy. But how is that going to help us? Do people still have to pay rent, for example? Or how's the property defined now? Do we only care about the cyberspace, for example, how, how Sailor says it? Or do we want the physical property as well? But I think those conversations, or at least maybe I'm not informed, but I think that Bitcoin City is a very important part of Bitcoin. And I don't see people focusing on it enough that this is going to be the biggest thing in 21st century. And it has to be our Atlantis. We have to make this our Atlantis. And I don't see those conversations around Bitcoin City. Yeah, we need the guy from Strong Towns. We need the, there's a Twitter feed called Wrath of Non. He really knows his stuff around urban, classical urban design. And maybe they need some computational designers on board. Mm -hmm. They seem pretty open. You should just start knocking on doors, see what's going on over there. Yeah. I saw the original design, but it also felt sort of Buckminster Fuller top down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and not organic, which seems to be the way things need to happen. Yes. But I'm, no, I'm not an urban planner. I live in a big city. I live in New York City. But my other town is a small town of 100,000, and it is 400 years old. So there was no plan. Yeah, exactly. It's It needs some of the, 
I don't know if you've seen the line in Saudi Arabia. Yes, I have. The idea of it makes sense to me. Sure. Because it's in the desert and it's going to be hot, obviously. So that mirror exterior will help a lot with inside. And just the way they can use energy in that structure, they could use all this water sewer that is going through this as a source of energy. Just put a turbine and let the gravity do the work to power some of the structure and things like that. I think those are backbone of Bitcoin, right? Like stranded energy. How can we use all this energy that is getting wasted? And a lot of urban designers think about these stuff. They studied it and even architects. So hopefully they reconsider and do a little bit more thinking on how to grow Bitcoin City. Well, man, I really love a creative mind that applies itself to problem solving way outside your own aesthetic concerns. I think that that's the renaissance, right? It's creative people asserting themselves, not just to put something pretty on the wall, but to rise to these big challenges like brand new cities. Yeah. Or how humans can live with each other on the earth. Yeah, we need more conversations around. Um, yeah, it's almost non-existent, these conversations, unfortunately. From what I've seen, your art is conversation starter, right? Certainly around the fashion. Uh -huh. So keep rocking it, dude. I mean, again, you've, you're new to my radar, but I really can't wait to see what emerges from your creativity and your this new voice. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. What you're doing means a lot to us. Just giving a voice, it's awesome. I love it and I really appreciate what you're doing. Oh, thanks, man. I hope I can keep doing it with the same vigor once I get back to work on movie sets. They tend to be slightly all-consuming, but I'll do my best even if I have to slow down every two weeks. Yeah, please don't stop. <laughs> it means a lot to us. Oh, that's sweet. My hope is that new Bitcoin artists will keep popping up as I seem to run dry on the, you know, having spoken to the other ones. We're a new breed. We're a new kind of school of art. But you've really planted this beautiful seed of persuading by like punk rock or grunge. I really like that. Just that we're a culture. We're radical, we're fun, we're inclusive, and we're on trend without being a sellout. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully we could grow this more and more, especially about inclusivity and tolerance, because that's that's the ethos of Bitcoin. He, she, or they created this for the people. It's so obvious from the paper that this was created for the people, not for himself, not for the power, but just to bring the power back to people. And it's, it's just beautiful at its core. Ah, so good. Yeah. It's not Bitcoin is for enemies. It's Bitcoin is for, Bitcoin is inspiring. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And everyone needs inspiration, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, Muzi, thanks for spending an hour with me. No, thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for contacting me, for organizing this. I know how much work this is, but I appreciate what you're doing for the community. Really appreciate it, man. Awesome. Well, again, if I can inspire people, then it feeds itself in a beautiful way. Yeah, you definitely are. Just don't, don't stop, man. Keep doing it. I'll do the same. <laughs> okay, deal. There you have it. 
Be sure to follow Muzi and to repost anything I put out there on Twitter and Oster. And remember, if you're listening on Fountain or Breeze, I'm tithing 10% over to OpenSats for them to help fund Bitcoin and other free and open source projects. So thanks. And finally, thanks to my brother for the music. Thanks to you for listening. And thanks to Muzi for sharing his time, energy, and kind words with the Bitcoin Muse. Onward.